What's going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to a new episode of a series that I am hosting exclusively on the podcast called Current Rotations, where I discuss all the records that I have been spinning lately on my turntable. And as of lately, coincidentally, all the records that I have been spinning came out on Record Store Day, which is, of course, an event that the vinyl community is quite active in. It is a day that we go out to our mom-and-pop record stores and we get our hands on exclusive releases that are only made available to mom-and-pop record stores. But most importantly, aside from getting the exclusive releases, we show our support by buying other stuff as well. And for myself, as a record store employee... For as cool as the exclusive releases are, I always get off on people browsing through our regular stands and getting stuff just simply for the principle of it being Record Store Day, which is a very cool thing. Um, as for the exclusive releases for Record Store Day, I did manage to get everything that I was after. I did a whole video showcasing what I got on my YouTube channel. And hell, even though I did a whole haul video, I am still tracking down a bunch of other releases that kind of piqued my interest. So... I don't know, probably watch another uh, another monthly vinyl haul video down the line to see what else I got that came out from Record Store Day. Uh, but for this episode, I'm going to be shining a light on my top favorite Record Store Day releases. These are the ones that I perhaps talked the most about um, on my YouTube channel, as well as the RSD roundtable that I did on the podcast. So um, if you've listened to those segments, um, then perhaps this episode will be of no surprise to you. But if you did not catch those bits, uh, you might enjoy this episode as I will be detailing some of my favorite releases from this year's Record Store Day, such as Eric Carr, The Donnas, Ramones, Sparks, and much more. It's about to go deep, so without further ado, let's see what I've been spinning. So if you've been following me long enough, you know that Kiss is my all-time favorite band, and when I saw this Record Store Day release um, announced... Um, it was a no-brainer that I had to have it in my collection, despite me owning it already on vinyl. So this is copy number two, and that is Eric Carr's Rockology. Now, for those that need a little bit of a refresher, uh, Eric Carr was Kiss's second drummer in Kiss. He had replaced Peter Chris, and he, Eric had uh, donned the Fox persona with the makeup. Uh, he was in the band in 1983 when the band took off the makeup, and he was Kiss's drummer for the good part of 11 years up until his untimely passing in 1991. Now, in the early 2000s, there was a CD that came out called Rockology. And Rockology is basically a collection of various demos that Eric had worked on throughout the 80s with the assistance of Kiss guitarist Bruce Kulick, as well as collaborator Adam Mitchell, who had co-wrote plenty of songs with uh, Gene and Paul uh, throughout the 80s. Uh, just right off the bat, some of the highlights on this album for me are Eyes of Love. It's a great sort of harder-edged, Def Leppard-sounding rocker. Somebody's Waiting is a nice ballad with great harmonies. Um, Too Cool for School is a fun little tune. Tierra is just... 80s cheese at its finest, but the melodies and the harmonies are so on point. And then you have things such as like Heavy Metal Baby and Just Can't Wait that kind of have some scat vocals here and there, uh, which are basically, they come across as more, you know, work in progress type versions of what could become future songs. Uh, but even thinking about it in hindsight, I don't know if, 
if Eric Carr was still around, he would want these to come out. But given that, you know, he only made so many contributions to Kiss musically in terms of songs that he wrote and this and that, this is a nice sentiment to see what Eric was working on sort of behind the scenes outside of Kiss. And these are really solid songs, so it's definitely worth a listen if you're a diehard Kiss fan. Now, to kind of talk about the release history of Rockology, it first was released on CD in the early 2000s, and I do remember getting a copy of it uh, for Christmas many years ago, which is how I became familiar with a lot of these songs before I ever got my hands on a vinyl pressing of it. Uh, go back a couple of years ago, uh, there was a label called The Rockologist that pressed up this album on vinyl for the first time. And just to add a little bit of fun kiss minutia, uh, The Rockologist uh, was run by the guy uh, by the name of Tom Shannon. Now, Tom Shannon had helped Universal with uh, the Kiss of Honorary issues in 2014, as well as the Casablanca singles box from a couple years prior. And uh, he basically provided high-res scans from his personal collection for the artwork and a few other odds and ends. And before he pressed up the um, Rockology, um, he had done some various other vinyl projects for um, Ace Frehley and Bruce Kulick. Um, so obviously two Kiss guitarists, so, you know, very active in the Kiss front. And then he put out Rockology on vinyl for the first time, and that was like the first project that he had pressed up. Uh, there was an orange vinyl copy, there was a picture disc, there were a couple of deluxe versions with like bits of memorabilia and such. I just got the standard orange vinyl version, and I am shocked to say that it is currently going for upwards of like $150. It is absolutely insane. So now this time around for Record Store Day, um, the label Culture Factory has licensed the album, and they did a pressing of it. And I do have to say, while the Rockologist version is special for it being the first vinyl pressing of Rockology, I got to give major props to this version that came out for Record Store Day because the artwork um, for the release, which does feature Eric in his Fox makeup, was actually done by the same artist that did the 1978 Kiss solo albums for Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter. And just to kind of tie it all in, it sort of makes sense because there was a little loophole in Eric's contract where if he wanted to do a solo album, he would very well just use that artwork. And um, obviously that did not happen back in the day, but Eric did have this portrait hanging um, in his own apartment. So there's a little bit of history for you right there. So obviously... All the songs that appeared on the original Rockology appear on this release, um, except it's just designed just like the 78 solo album in terms of the text layout, the covers and everything. So major props with that. But there are some bonus cuts on here that are exclusive to this version. Uh, we have alternate versions of Tierra, Can You Feel It, and Eyes of Love, which do appear on the main album itself. And then we are treated to some of Eric's pre-Kiss bands. Uh, there is a rendition of the Beatles' Obla Di Obla Da by the Sellerman in 1967. And uh, that's a track that Eric actually plays drums and sings lead vocals on. And then there is another song called Stranger by a band called creation that uh, Eric played drums for back in 1974. So those tracks have never been released and they are featured here. So it is great value. Um, of course, 
to kind of tie it all in with the 78 solo album look, there is a little fold-out poster inside that looks like it is part of the other posters that came with the solo albums. Granted, it doesn't have the die cut so you can fit it all in. It kind of looks, you know, singular by itself, but still, you get the general gist of it. It just looks so cool for a diehard Kiss fan to kind of just wrap their head around it. It just looks absolutely awesome. You get two printed inner sleeves of photos, and then the vinyl itself is absolutely nice. Uh, the first LP comes pressed on orange vinyl with black and white splatter, and then the second LP comes pressed on clear vinyl with orange, black, and white splatter. And then on the labels, of course, we have the track list as well as Eric's Fox makeup uh, design on the label. And of course, um, the jacket itself comes with like a nice Japanese style obi strip, just kind of hyping the release up with the track list on the back. Um, it's an absolutely phenomenal release. So if you're a Kiss diehard fan, um, I will be shocked if you, you did not get this release because you really do need it for yourself if you are an Uber Kiss vinyl collector. Next up is another one that was high on my want list. I don't even want to say want list. I want to say my need list. <laughs> and that is the Donna's early singles, 1995 to 1999. Uh, the Donna's are a band that I've been listening to a lot for the past couple of years. Sound wise, imagine it as like, the Ramones, The Runaways, Motley Crue, and Kiss all in a melting pot, and you get the sound that is the Donna's. Great all-female hard rock punk band from California that emerged in the mid-90s, lasted till around the early 2010s, so they are no longer active, unfortunately, and it is a great shame because these ladies had immense talent. And in my time collecting their catalog on vinyl, their stuff is very hard to come by. Um, their early 7 inches have immense value. Um, original pressings of their lookout uh, catalog go for upwards of $80 to around $100 on average and um, the Atlantic records are hard to come by as well even when they were reissued a couple years ago which I was very lucky to get my hands on as I was starting to get into their work so Real Gone, uh, the same label that had done the Atlantic catalog, is now going to be doing all of the early Lookout era stuff. And this piece right here is kind of the first piece of the puzzle, and that brings together the early singles as well as associated B-sides. So th the first side of this LP um, just has all the early seven inches and their various a sides and b sides um very lo-fi i would say in terms of the sound quality but if you can bypass that and focus in on the songwriting arrangements and the melodies and the catchy hooks and everything then you are in for quite a tree and let me just say and i say this with all due respect i've made the comment before that like the first donna's album is basically the first Ramones album, but with a female vocalist, that's exactly what these early seven inches consist of. And they really lift from the Ramones textbook of songwriting when it comes to the arrangements and hell, even down to the song titles, such as I don't want to go to school. I don't want to rock and roll tonight. I want to be a Unabomber, just to name a few, but they are such good fun. And it's crazy that these songs never really became huge and they are absolutely deserving of it because they are just gr 
brilliantly written tunes. Now, the B-side of this compilation is quite interesting. We have various covers uh, that the Donnas did as B-sides for some of their later 90s singles, um, such as Speeding Back to My Baby by Ace Frehley of Kiss. Um, and of course, speaking of Kiss, they did a version of Strutter, uh, Alice Cooper's School's Out, as well as Ario Speedwagon's Keep On Loving You. Uh, so this is a great early piece of Donna's history to dive into before you are to approach the four full-length albums that they did on Lookout, which I am very excited that are going to be getting reissued. Um, the artwork for this is fantastic. Uh, there's a great photo of the gals on the front cover. The back has scans of the various uh, seven inches that this material is lifted from. And there's even a track-by-track breakdown uh, by the girls themselves. And then there's also an insert with photos and a brief little interview with them with liner notes. And the record itself is pressed on gold vinyl, which is very nice. And shockingly, this is one of the RSD releases that is reselling for crazy amounts of money, Last I checked, cheapest copy was like $95. It's absolutely insane. But apparently this is an RSD first release, so there is going to be a standard press to come down the line, probably on black vinyl. So if you're a collector and you want the collectability, uh, perhaps this gold vinyl version is the one to seek out. But nonetheless, I'm so happy that I got my hands on this, and I'm very excited for the future Donna's reissues to come in the very near foreseeable future. Next up is a release that I am loving more and more with each listen, and that is Billy Joel Live at the Great American Music Hall 1975. I love Billy Joel. I love his artistry. He has amazing records. Uh, The Stranger, in my opinion, is one of those albums that could be a greatest hits album just because every song is practically a hit, basically. Uh, But when it comes to the early stuff, like we're talking like pre-turnstiles, I am still working my way through that catalog, and this live release, I feel, is a solid primer. And if you are a diehard Billy Joel fan, you are absolutely going to adore this, and what's crazy is that there's barely any hits on here. If you're a casual fan, sure, you will recognize New York State of Mind and The Entertainer, but you know, for the diehard fan, you have things like Roberta, You're My Home, Everybody Loves You Now, Um, it's just absolutely phenomenal. No hits based Basically can be found on this, such as Piano Man or Captain Jack or She's Got Away. Um, so if you are into that early Billy Joel stuff, you will absolutely love this. But music aside, I just love the intimate atmosphere with this release um, in terms of Billy's stage raps in between the songs and how he interacts with the crowd. Uh, you, you even have these fun little interludes uh, where he does covers of, you know, other tunes such as Joe Cocker's You Are So Beautiful, Elton John's Benny and the Jets. Um, it's just absolutely fun. And gauging when I've listened to this, you know, he had mentioned that they were recording the show for what use um is beyond my knowledge. I am not at all an expert when it comes to Billy Joel's, you know, recording career, but they must have considered it, you know, for release, but then ultimately it got shelved and, you know, that was that. But it's finally out now. Now, I should mention that if you have the vinyl collection box set that came out some time ago, uh, which brings together basically like the first half of Billy's recording career, this is featured in the box set. So if you have the set, 
You don't really need this, but if you don't have the set and you want to dig into some early Billy Joel territory, uh, this will be a solid primer for you to check out. Comes pressed on nice silver vinyl, and it's an absolutely gorgeous thing to behold, both in terms of the presentation as well as the sound quality, because for a live recording circa 1975, it sounds absolutely killer. And couple that with amazing tunes, it's an all-around essential package for any Billy Joel fan. Next up is the latest and new installments of the Paul McCartney Half Speed Mastering Series, and that is, of course, Red Rose Speedway by Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, this Half Speed Mastering Series has been fun to collect. Uh, they started it a couple of record store days ago, um, and basically they have been doing half speed cuts of every McCartney solo album since the beginning of his solo career. So, so far they've done McCartney, they've done Ram and Wildlife, and of course this is the next installment. Now, this is an album that I personally don't really go to often, despite the fact that I do own a copy of this album already. Um, in my collection, um, I have the originally intended 2LP version of the album. Um, I picked it up uh, at Revilla Grooves in Gear up in North Jersey when I did my record store road trip around my home state of New Jersey. Uh, this was like back when everything opened uh, up after COVID. This was like in June of 2020. I did a whole video about it if you want to peel back and check that out. And um, obviously the backstory behind Red Rose Speedway is that it was originally going to be a 2LP set, uh, but then instead it came out as a single LP. So I figured, okay, let me get into the original context of the record and that's a kind of daunting move to approach an album like that that you've never heard of in that fashion most people would just go after the main album itself but when i saw that this album was going to be given the half speed mastering treatment of course i'm a collector i have the other half speed cuts i had to get this for myself now Obviously, I think the last time that I've listened to Red Rose Speedway in terms of the 2LP album that I had previously was back when I first bought it. So this was a prime time to revisit that record. And upon dropping the needle on Side 1, Track 1, Big Barn uh, Bed, I was like, all right, we are back into classic McCartney territory. And I absolutely loved it upon it starting. And then, of course, that goes right into My Love, which is a recognizable uh, solo McCartney tune. Get on uh, The Right Thing, Little Lamb Dragonfly, and then you have the medley of Hold Me Tight, Lazy Dynamite, Hands of Love, and Power Cut, which kind of reminded me of like the little mini suite that appears on the B side of Abbey Road. Seems like Paul was kind of tapping right back into that. Um, overall, I gotta say, upon revisiting this album, it went down much better than this time around as opposed to when i'd listened to the previous mccartney half speed cut which was the wildlife album which came out some time ago um and i and after listening to that record i was like hmm i can see why that album would go towards the bottom for most mccartney rankings but it seems like you know under the you know the wings uh title um the band was really starting to get on at this point and then obviously after this record was banned on the run and the rest is history so this half-speed cut uh, comes uh, beautifully packaged with a sort of blue OB-type strip, which has all the Abbey Road half-speed mastering specs on it, the track list. Um, this was cut uh, from a high-res transfer uh, from the original master tapes, and they used the 2018 remaster as like the sort of um, as the sort of basis. But of course, with no processing or limiting, it's just they did all the EQ things that they had to do for 
for this pressing. And as always, you know, it comes with all the bells and whistles, gatefold jacket. There's a booklet. Um, there's also a little postcard kind of explaining the, the half speed mastering process, which is pretty cool pressed on heavyweight vinyl and it sounds absolutely spectacular and i'm excited to be spinning this album once again on the turntable next up was another big one on my need list and that was the ramones pleasant dreams the new york mixes now the ramones are a band that has always been represented for record store day and for the past several years we have gotten various live releases of live material that can be found on the various 40th anniversary deluxe versions that have come out of the early Ramones catalog, starting from the debut up until It's Alive. Now, we did also get a uh, live 1980 release from Australia, and that was supposed to be on a 40th anniversary deluxe version of End of the Century. Um, obviously, the album celebrated a uh, 40th anniversary in 2020, and amidst COVID and management shifts and such, it has yet to come out. So as of recording this episode, um, it is still unreleased, um, despite the fact that a track list has leaked out. So that particular release has been almost vinyl exclusive. And the same can be said with this Pleasant Dreams one, because let's face it, I think anything after end of the century kind of veers into deep cut territory. And you kind of have to take the guess that the interest is not going to be as high as it would be for an earlier Ramones album that most people would come to associate themselves with. But anyways, this New York mix of Pleasant Dreams, I feel, is a sonic improvement over the slick back production that the original Pleasant Dreams album uh, had. Now, I think basically what we have here is a rough mix of the album and the various songs that appear on it before they got embellished with all kinds of um, overdubs and just bits of slick back production. It just seems like the original album kind of soaks in reverb a little bit, whereas this is a bit more dry sounding and a bit more raw, very much in line with the core principles of the classic Ramones sound. So it, it it is a bit of an interesting listen. I was actually talking about it with a friend of mine, and he was saying, yeah, it just sounds like they took away some parts of the mix. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true, but it's kind of like before they went on about embellishing those recordings, which just makes it, I think, a bit more truer to their sound. But this is not exactly just a full-on 100% rough mix of the Pleasant Dreams album. We do have some extra bits and pieces on this uh, particular pressing. Uh, we have a couple of tracks that were recorded during the sessions, uh, but did not find their way onto the final album but some tracks have appeared on subsequent records uh such as um i can't keep you off my mind uh which later found its way on the brain drain album in 1989 and there's also a song called touring which appeared on the album mondo bizarro from 1992 and there's also another track that appears on this called sleeping troubles which to my knowledge based on bootlegs that i've heard in various other demos it has only existed in in like raw demo form i have never heard of a polished recorded version from the album sessions so that was a major treat to hear but overall it's a nice 180 uh way to listen to this record and eliminate some of the kind of slick back polished elements and focus in on the raw classic ramon sound with this new york mix of pleasant dreams 
Last but not least are two albums that I was so stoked to see finally get reissued on vinyl, and those are the first two albums by Sparks. And those albums are, of course, their self-titled debut and a woofer in Tweeter's clothing. Uh, Sparks is a band that is fronted by the Mail Brothers. We have Russell Mail on vocals as well as Ron Mail on keyboards, and he also does a lion's share of the writing. And if you went back in time and saw a picture of those guys, you would think to yourself, wow, Mark Bolin and Adolf Hitler joined a band together because those guys have the striking resemblances of those uh, figures. But um, Sparks is one of those prime examples of a band that is true art rock at its finest. And I say that because whether it's their early stuff when they started out in the 70s or to the present day as they are still putting out records, they have always had no fear delving into any new musical territory that suited them best throughout their career. Whether it's the more glammy, you know, sort of campy type stuff from the 70s, going into disco mode in the late 70s, early 80s, then going into some sort of electronic sort of dance music in the 90s, and then to whatever it is that they do, which honestly, it can't be given a label. It's just quintessentially sparks. So I give the Mail Brothers a ton of credit for always sticking to their craft. And sure, while they have maintained a cult following, with time, it seems like they are getting more and more uh, respect as well as recognition. So, and it is much deserved to them. But anyways, first two Sparks albums got reissued for Record Store Day, and they are albums that I have been absolutely loving since my good friend Patrick showed me and made me aware of Sparks. And the first album, it's very much like Queen meets T-Rex. And this is a couple years before Queen would do their first album. There's, you know, things such as Wonder Girl, Simple Ballet, No More Mr. Nice Guys. They had that sort of campy type element to them, but with a slight quirky twist. And of course, there's the glam elements of like T-Rex and such. So you, you can tell that there is an obvious British influence in that band. And the band has self, you know, proclaimed that. Um, also, a little fun fact for those that are not aware, of course, if you're a diehard Sparks fan, you probably know this already. Um, uh, but the original uh, band name before it was Sparks was Half Nelson, and they had uh, released the album, which became the first Sparks album, as Half Nelson on uh, Todd Rundgren's label, uh, Bearsville Records. And then when it failed to make much of an impact, uh, someone decided, hey, why don't you just change the name and we'll put it back out? And sure enough, they settled on Sparks, and the rest is history. Um, and then with the second album, Woofer and Tweeter's Clothing, it's a little bit more experimental. Um, when I revisited the second album uh, when it came out for Record Store Day, because I was already more familiar with the first album, I was surprised with how both experimental it was and also how much I would say harder driving it was. Um, you have tracks like Girl from Germany, um, Nothing Sacred Anymore, uh, their version of Do Re Mi from, uh, from The Sound of Music. Um, it was honestly such a thrilling listen and there is just a certain element to those first two Sparks albums uh, that are just indescribable and so fun to listen to and it was ultimately after those two albums that they really kind of elevated, relocated to England, put out Kimono My House and they had a big hit with This Tiny Big Enough for the Both of Us and basically the rest is history. Uh, from what I understand the uh, two sparks album 
albums for Record Store Day were pressed up in limited quantities, but they're supposed to be RSD first releases, so there should be a repress down the line. And when that happens, or if you're able to track down a copy for yourself, uh, check them out. You will not be disappointed whatsoever. So there you guys go. That wraps up another episode of Current Rotations hosted by The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. See you guys in the next episode, and most importantly, keep the record spinning. 